it's clear from the outset what you are about, what your team is about, um, and what you're trying to achieve. Then the people people can see that, and then they can decide whether they're going to join and stick with you, or they want to find alternative uh, spaces for their kids to go, which may have a different uh, philosophy, a different ideology, if you like, or you know, different aspect of different playing systems, you know, and they can go and find them. And a warm welcome, you're with the Liverpool FA Podcast. Our aim is to provide regular insight from a variety of experts to help you in your own grassroots football journey. We're going to do this through interviews, roundtable discussions and by linking to other resources to help support you. For more information about each episode, just tap the album art. That will provide you with more about our guests and links to further content. Enjoy. This is Jack Walton and I help develop coaches and host the podcast here at Liverpool FA. Our guest today is Professor Dave Richardson from John Moores University. I've known Dave for a few years now since we met on a coaching course he attended and Dave's become a close ally of mine, someone I really look up to and someone I thought that would be great to have on as our first guest. In this episode we discuss issues within grassroots coaching such as dealing with parents, playing time, position rotation. And we think you'll like this episode, particularly if you're a a youth coach working in grassroots football. So hope you enjoy. Dave Richardson, welcome. Yeah, thank you. You are one of our first guests. And in in true fashion, I've managed to almost lose my voice after (laughs) uh, playing in a tournament myself at the weekend. So we'll go and dive right in. If you can explain to folks at home who you are and, and what you do in your own working time and, as, of course, as a, a coach as well. Okay, no problem. Uh, so my name's Dave Richardson and I'm the Director of School for Sport Exercise Sciences at Liverpool John Moores University. Uh, been the Director of School for probably sort of three, three and a half years now. Um, we like to see ourselves as a, as a, as a world-leading school in in sport and exercise sciences and also a, a school with expertise in, in science and football. Yeah. Um, in terms of my, my, my coaching background and I guess playing background, I've played to a fairly decent level as a, as a, as a young player. Um, I then more recently got into the coaching, uh, as you know Jack, through uh, working at Walton uh, with the, the Walton teams there and, and obviously going through the, the licences, getting the, getting the coach qualifications yeah. as running uh, a team as a consequence of my young lad uh, and my friend's young lad <laughs> wanted to be in a team and being part of the team and, and always being sort of cajoled into taking taking the lead role in, in, in moving that forward. Yeah. So were you one of the uh, the dads that took his lad along and didn't step back when the uh, the request for volunteers came along? Is that how it happened? It, yeah, it was more around um, trying to find the right place, I think, in terms of the right type of team environment because my my, my my son, whilst he enjoyed playing for, he was kicking about in the back garden, so he can show no real. Um, I guess it's, he didn't sort of necessarily seem to want to be in a team, in terms of a competitive environment. Mm. He just enjoyed kicking the ball around in the garden. So putting him into a team competitive environment around that we were looking at 
probably wasn't the right thing for him. So in the end, it was, well, you know, being cajoled by you know good good friend of mine to say, well, why didn't you just, with all these skills and background and what you do, why didn't why don't you do it? <laughs> um, and, and that's really where, where it came from, to be honest. Yeah, and, that, and that's the main reason why I, I wanted to to get you on on this first episode is. Um, because of that unique position that you hold, where you're you're, you're practicing what you preach at, at the end of the day, you know you you hold this position at, at, at the university, mm. you know director of school sports science, and you're also grassroots coach for under under 11s. Yeah, <coughs> under 11s now. Yeah. yeah. So we've had them since they were probably uh, the age of seven. Yeah. Right the way through. So yeah. So we were just saying before that you you've got the the joy of those guys going into high school in September when you start up again next season haven't you yes yeah. it's going to be interesting because yeah. the, the, again the main emphasis of the, the team was it was all the sort of school gate team yeah so most of the kids had come from the, the same school and then there's a couple of other kids because we've probably got two or three schools in, involved now but um, yeah so it was the, the school gate kids who just joined together as a group of mates who want to play football yeah um, and yeah, so taking them through on a on a, on a, on a journey with, with with well, I guess my sort of journey as well, going back into the into the coaching field and and trying to work out what what to do with them and uh, how to create uh, an environment that they they, they want to enjoy playing football in. Yeah, you said going back into coaching, and I'm, I've been meaning to ask you this. I don't don't know the answer. Is is this the first grassroots team that you've actually? coach because I know you've got previous coaching experiences but yeah I used to I did a bit of coaching when I was um, so when I was at university uh, and I played sort of semi-pro football and then uh, in the summer uh, we'd go out to uh, America and do the um, worked at Penn State University mm. um, and then met a few people <coughs> there who, uh, who, who was Sort of lead, I guess, leading lights in terms of, I guess, English coaching at the time. So that was a really good experience. So right. coaching, and that was like a bit of a camp experience, but it was more um, the focus was on the, the, the sort of playing and, and development. But it wasn't, it wasn't like a um, just a, just a sort of uh, what they call them, the Buna camp type stuff. It was more of a specific soccer camp, which was based around Penn State and the Penn State. So Penn State, one of the big ten mm. in universities in the states, and it was basically around their sort of development program, if you like. If you can take us back, what places? What what age were you when you when you had those experiences? So I would have been um, sort of nineteen, twenty, yeah, um, twenty. So my when I graduated from the sports science degree, I went out to uh, Penn State in the summer, and also coached as a as a varsity coach. At a place called Mercyhurst near Lake Erie, so I did that for a few a few months. Um, so yeah, you know, early. I mean, in terms of you know, coaching, I, yeah. was, I was more of a player than a coach. Yeah. I, I, would, I would say and a, a, a lot of my coaching practice came from what I'd experienced as being coached. If that makes sense, we'll revisit that definitely. Yeah. I think that's how a lot of, of us get into coaching is that kind of transition mm. at the end of playing or even during playing. Yeah. So they, was that your first introduction to coaching then, though, that trip out to the States and the time that you spent out there? Yeah, pretty much in terms of uh, being required to put on you know, a, a series of uh, sessions over a, a week-long period with a group of yeah. players. So they would have been, the age range would have probably been about four, 14, 15-year-olds. Um, so in terms of being asked to put a programme together on a sort of daily basis, 
then, then that was yeah that was probably the first time yeah. I didn't have to do that so if you were to look back now almost jump in that time machine and go back and visit yourself as that coach starting out what would be the main differences that you would see between you then and the way that you coach now um, <clears throat> I think I've probably got a little bit more coherency and the and, and, and aim of what I'm trying to do I think um, in those early years it was more to do with what constitutes a, you know, a fun, fun session I think the kids would like to do this um, and they'll have a great time yeah. uh, as opposed to any major focus on technical development or tactical development or physical development it was mainly around just you know running something that, that I think is going to be really enjoyable yeah I used to find that um, it was survival at first can, can I just get through this hour or hour and a half unscathed yeah. and, and we, we had the, that that time we had like, there was quite a big group of kids and we had them for at least a week um, mm. so you'd have them in the morning you'd have them in the afternoon you'd have them at night time so it was it was sort of three sessions a, a, a day for a week yeah and when you know when you've quite early years of coaching you haven't got that much armory in, in terms of your coaching expertise other than what you've been experienced and what you've been exposed mm. to so uh, so yeah it was a challenge and obviously the one going into the working with um uh, mercyhurst that was then a a, a varsity experience so i was involved in the um, so it was at the 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 women's team and the men's team so I'd take the the junior varsity if it like sort of the, the reserve teams and then there was um, that was a guy, a guy with Richard Hartis who was uh, who became like a goalkeeping coach at Man United eventually and he worked with uh, Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer yeah. so so yes yeah, so that was his, his early years of coaching as well yeah. so. focus that well, I wanted to, to discuss with you on this episode really was was around coaching philosophy mm-hmm. so it's um it's quite a popular phrase at the moment what's your take on the the way that the, the culture I suppose of football is changing and that this term philosophy is becoming a lot more apparent and, and popular now yeah you know I, I think it's a it's a difficult one to to answer in terms of what what's your coaching philosophy or um, it is as you say a bit of a, a, a trend in terms of having to have a philosophy or having to, to, to do something in a particular way um, and it's you know a sense of well, what are you open to I think in terms of different ways of working and you know whether you've got a particular philosophy or whether you, you know you almost, once you start to have a philosophy you're then almost bound by it mm. uh, and it leaves you a little uh, space to be flexible or to be adaptable um, unless you put that into your philosophy if that's what you want to be and what you want to achieve yeah um, but it, yeah, it is, it is quite trendy, I think, in terms of people are trying to come up with um, some uh, form of words that captures what they are and who they think they are and how they want to be. I'm, I'm assuming that you think it, it, it's important that coaches have this kind of view of the, themselves and the way that they want to be. I think I'd, I'd always go, with, you know, going back to things like, well, why are you here in, in, in the first place? Uh, so why do you want to be a coach? What is it that you want to achieve? Because um, you know, let's you know, if we, if we take it back, there's there's different re- reasons for us all being in in this space. Whether it be for you know personal family reasons, and you, you sort of get drawn into that particular environment, or whether it's more of the the, the career 
aspect when you're going through grassroots into professional environments. So if we understand why we're in there in the first place, then I guess that makes it more easier to understand what the expectation is on you as well as an individual and as a, as, as a group. Um, and I think that's really important because then you can start to get a sense of perspective in terms of who you are, what skill set you have and, and how far you can go. At what point in your in your own coaching journey did you start to have these sort of thoughts? Uh, I know when I, I first started coaching, it was it was like I said, just about survival. It was mm. put on sessions that would uh, would keep the kids entertained and be fun. And it was only I think uh, maybe ten years ago or so I started to have these these thoughts in my in, in my own head about you know what do I stand for as a coach? Why am I doing this? At, at any any point in your own pathway spring to mind? Um. Well, I think if, if I go back, you know, a, a number of years. I mean, in terms of my my own sp- sports careers as a, as, a, as a player, then you know there was there was a balance to be had between you know performing and ed- education. And as I progressed through, and you know, didn't you know make it as a footballer, but then went into academia, and and my sort of PhD work was all around you know the, the holistic understanding of the young athlete, uh, footballers in particular. And, and that was really important to me in terms of the, 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 sort of the, the morals and ethics around play development within more so the professional environment as opposed to grassroots. Um, and it was trying to understand from a, an organisational point of view what the, the responsibilities were of a, of a club towards young people and young, young you know, footballers in particular. Um, so that's where I guess I come from in, in, in my own perspective of we should always be looking after the, the individual and the welfare of the, of the players whether they uh, be looking to progress into the professional game or just looking to enjoy playing football for as long as, uh, as they can. So I think that's probably where I've got more of a holistic understanding mainly through some of the work that we've done on talent development working with um, clubs and organisations around providing opportunities for young players to, to, to develop a different <coughs> sense of identity, not just as a footballer, but as, as young people. Yeah. And uh, then obviously this now is more grassroots related. Um, and, and it's getting that balance between just providing an environment where the kids want to play and enjoy playing and come back week <coughs> in, week out, whether they're going to be you know, the next you know, superstar player or not. They just, you just want them to enjoy play football how would that translate into your own philosophy you know with the, with the team that you have at the moment you've got you know a squad of of young boys developing boys mm. how, how would you sort of articulate your own philosophy because I know you've, you've come on the level two with us recently and, yeah. and as part of this process you've been completing the project of work that yeah. many coaches up and down the country have, have been asked to do what were the main things that come across for you I, mean, I think it's that <coughs> sense of perspective in terms of what what we're doing here. We're not, you know, it's not an academy coaching job. It's a it's a it's a part time role that you want to enjoy um, doing. So you want to enjoy being a coach, um, and you know, I like I like to to develop enable kids to become like technical players. Uh, so I'm a big fan of you know, technique, um, but then it's technique within a chaotic environment which is the game so in terms of 
you know, going back to that sort of word for philosophies, you know, we're trying to get enable players to del deliver and to, to play at a level where they're, they're competitive and where they actually enjoy the challenge of, of, of playing. So technical ability to work on, on, on that but within a, uh, a chaotic environment, if you like, to enable them to understand that there are so many different decisions, there are so many different actions uh, and forms of information and communication that they need to absorb and understand before they can play. Uh, and trying to create an environment with allowing that without and allowing for success to occur as well so getting that balance between you know challenge and success is, yeah. is, is, is critical um, you know but so we technical players who want, want to play want to make a difference in the game impact the game uh, but are fundamentally going to enjoy being part of the group part of the team uh, and be able to succeed in achieving what they can achieve yeah. and having watched you work with your players and, and work with them myself I can certainly vouch for that how would you say that that kind of aim that you've got for for the players uh, and how they're able to deal with the game how does that translate into the sort of practice and a typical practice session or program that, that you use with the boys I think we probably I mean we try to encourage more game-like activity um, but I'm a great believer in asking the asking questions of, of the boys in terms of you know what can they do um, how can they do things better how can we change uh, the scope or nature of the training environment to make it more game-like uh, and we can build on um, so you can either build up through your coaching session or you can break things down and, and, and start with more chaos and then break it down into more mm. simplified versions to enable success and then build it back up again. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it is also about ensuring that the players understand what they're doing and why they're doing it and that they can then ultimately make decisions for themselves without me or anybody else imposing decisions upon them. Yeah, I suppose it's a little bit like us as a coach, you know, not just literally delivering off a, off a playbook or a, a script. It's actually understanding why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, they're going through the. You know, if you track it back to so early early years coaching, then you were pretty. You know, you you were you liked the security of having your session and your session your session plans and, uh, you know, as as you were saying earlier, it's that you you just want to get get through and. Yeah, there's a little bit of flexibility and adaptability with that, but I think going through the, the, the coaching badges again now and and having that confidence to just enable or allow the, the, the sessions to just evolve and not being overly prescriptive in terms of what should be happening and not sticking to a script if it's not working, yeah. then just being adaptable and evolving. But, you know, constantly asking the, 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 the players what they think they should be doing, uh, where they think they should be on a pitch, what type of positions that they think if they, they've got good cover, or you know they've got good attacking options, and, and, and just talking to them about it. You just cast me back to a time I was mentoring a coach uh, several years ago now, and um, he asked me if I could have a look at his session plan for his under sevens, yeah. and I think he might have been a, a, an IT engineer. <laughs> So, but he sent me a session plan which was done on a spreadsheet and it was about 200 cells long <laughs> planned literally to the mm. second it was zero to 30 seconds right we're going to introduce the topic we're going to we'll sit them down and 
yeah, it just it, it reminded me of that that actually, and I've obviously seen you, you mm. the way that you plan and and the detail that you go into. But I find nowadays that I'll probably only deliver maybe fifty percent of what's on on the plan, yeah. And the other fifty percent is entirely dependent on what's going on that evening. Mm. Not many of us have got the luxury to know exactly how many players are going to turn up. You know, we're, no. we're working within a range, I suppose. Yeah, and it's having that the, that confidence to be able to just deliver and adapt your session accordingly. In terms, because because some days the, the kids turn up and you've got something in your head that you you want to work on but within the first five ten minutes you know it's just not going to happen because of the way they, they they are with each other or you know something's happened in the in her school or you know something's gone on and there's a little bit of a different type of vibe going on with the place so you're not going to achieve what you thought you're going to achieve so you have to break it down and and, and again just build little bits of it and, uh, and and go from there but not be worried about it as no. I mean you know, I think again sometimes we can get a little bit um, too caught up and too, too much of a hostage to what you've planned and trying mm. to achieve it um, where you know it's, it's grassroots coaching it's making as long as the kids have a really enjoyable experience and they're, they're progressing and they're developing then you can you can do it next week or the week after <laughs> you know, it, it, it doesn't matter if you were to advise maybe a, a, a coach who they might see their players for an hour a week they might um, have their players for you know one game at a, at a weekend if they were curious about starting to develop or formalise their own coaching philosophy what sort of advice might you give them? Um, I think I'd go back to that you know starting with why you're there and what you want to achieve um, and, and, and that, that the sense of perspective with the type of kids that you've got because we haven't all got a group of you know world world leading excellent players in front of us that you want to turn into the next sort of Messi and Suarez or Ronaldo. You you know your you, you, your role is to just provide them with a platform and environment to be able to experiment and be challenged and to enjoy. So it is about so I mean each individual will have their own perspective on what they want to achieve. So it's just having a, a you know and, and be be quite critical I think in terms of that sense of self and, and what it is that you're there for um, and, and remembering that it is you know you are doing it because you know it's, it's, it's typically at this time it's volunteerism and you need to enjoy it as well mm. you know the number of times you speak to coaches and they're just stressed up to the hill because of you know the parents are getting on their back or the, the, they have, they've fallen out with some of the kids or some of the kids have fallen out with each other and yeah and then you start to say, well, you know, wonder why you're in it in the first place. And, and, and it's difficult because those things are really challenging for, for, for coaches to, because those are things you don't, you know, yeah, we'll probably talk about them on the, on the level too. But in terms of a, a skill set, to be able to deal with parents who are nagging you and um, for game time with <laughs> their, 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 their kids, or you know, kids within the group have developed a little bit of a clique, and you try to work out how to how to break it all down. Um, but you know, if you're not enjoying it as a, as a as a coach, then you know it becomes really almost like a a, a bit of a toil, mm. and then you then that with them cascades it will pass on to the the players. Your coaching sessions will reflect that you know, extra toil you've had to put in, and, 
and whether you're thinking it's actually worthwhile doing. I think you've hit the nail there. And what I find in my own experiences of working with many coaches is the ones who seem to have the more clarity about their own values, beliefs and behaviours, more of a, a kind of holistic view of their own coaching philosophy, the less stress that they get, the, the happier that they seem, they're able to be, because they have that, that clarity, they've got those principles that guide them, mm. they're able to deal with the parents. And, and actually, I think the knock-on effect is that the coach who, who has that clarity and they're able to articulate it, it comes across quite clearly with the parents. Mm. And even, even the kids, the kids can see and feel the consistency of, of the message. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's, if, if you're clear with that, then you're able to accept that there are going to be certain players and certain parents that actually maybe don't fit with, with, with you or with, with, you, with your team and you have to be prepared to let, let them people go yeah. uh, or have those conversations. And if it's, if it's clear from the outset what you are about, what your team is about um, and what you're trying to achieve, then the people, people can see that and then they can decide whether they're going to join and stick with you or they want to find alternative uh, spaces for their kids to go which may have a different uh, philosophy a different ideology if you like or you know different aspect or different playing systems you know and they can go and find them um, and you know you can't take it personally because you've just set up you know you've You've, you've done this and again you're not, you're not an academy coach here. you're just a, uh, someone who's looking to, to bring help provide kids with an opportunity to play football yeah yeah I, mean, I remember uh, a game thinking back a few years now we had a, a I think we were under 10s at the time under 11s mm -hmm. maybe and um, we were the, the boys that I coach they know they pretty much get equal time to the minute yeah. you know yeah. I'm, I'm trying to work it out until one of them gets injured and has to come off and then it throws the whole yeah. equal yeah. time but over certainly over a, a season they'll all experience equal time and a mix of different positions and there was one game in particular where um, we were we were 3-0 up against uh, against the team we, we shouldn't have been 3-0 up against yeah. and the boys came off at half time absolutely buzzing bear in mind the other team could have scored about three goals in that first half anyway yeah. so at half time team talk I said to the boys look do you, do you want to keep it the same do you want to, do you want to change anything what do you think we do yeah. uh, and their immediate response was go for more goals we want to get more goals I said okay alright um, your decision so the captain decided on the on the formation and the subs that were going to be made <coughs> and you can tell what's going to happen here we lost the game 7-3 yeah. and all the boys still got the same amount of time on the pitch. But that day or that weekend, I experienced something that I'd never experienced before where one of the parents said, this isn't for me. Yeah. My, my boy shouldn't have been playing in that position. He should have been playing in it up front mm. and I'm taking him away. Right. And that really, that, that stung at the time. Yeah. But it was a valuable lesson because it actually reminded me of why I'm doing this mm. and what I'm in it for. Yeah. I don't know if there's been any times in your own coaching journey where you your own philosophy and beliefs have been put to the test in a, in a, in a practical yeah, yeah, environment. Yeah, I think they, they, they always are. I mean, very early on, it was, you know, that was the, the similar uh, philo you know, policy, I guess, if you like, or this is the way we're going to go about it. It's, you know, we're looking to give players as much time as we can. It's equal, equal time. So there's a rotation policy. Um, I'm a big believer in um, positional rotation as well. And, 
you know, I don't think players should be pigeonholed in as, as uh, you know, right backs or centre forwards mm. or, or, or left wingers from, from the age of six and seven. Um, so you need to provide them with an opportunity to play in different positions and, and be challenged in those positions. And yeah, so we've had you know, parents that challenge that philosophy um, that their kids, you know, they're, they're, they're a left winger and they should be playing left wing every week. And well, you know, they're only seven or eight. So it just doesn't just doesn't fit with with me. It might fit with other people or other coaches who want to have a you know a fixed way of playing, fixed formations, and they have fixed players who play in positions and they know those positions. Mm -hmm. But you put them in another environment, they they are less likely to be able to adapt to the different aspects of game game intelligence and game understanding. Um, and yeah, so we you know we, we've probably we've got a pretty solid group of players most of them have stayed with us because we've played that out very 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 early on in, in sort of my sort of ten years as a coach if you like um, but we have had people walk away because of that um, and then you, you, you sort of ask yourself whether well, is that is that the right thing to do um, and I, I think it is that's how I that's how I would want. I wouldn't want to do it any any other way. Yeah. But you know, I'm still still friendly with the guys that have left and they've gone to other teams. So, and, you know, and they still play left wing. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but that, that, that's it. But I think you've, you you have to. And then you know, I think it's always about thinking about the players. You know, so if your if your son or daughter is playing every week, and they're playing a full game every week at the expense of somebody else's son or daughter that is only playing five or ten minutes at the end of a game when the team's five or six nil up then you've got to ask yourself is that is that right is that the right thing to do mm -hmm. and that, that doesn't it doesn't sit with me it doesn't work you know it's about you know being equal and, and giving them equal opportunities and putting yourself in the shoes of the other parent whose kids have come into training their, their, their mums and dads are dropping them off or their carers are dropping them off or you know bringing them there making that sacrifice to get to get to training and then they're only getting five minutes of a weekend it's just you know you, you can't you, I don't think you can do that you've got to yeah. give them all the chance to enjoy playing and yet you've, you've got to find that balance between you know what puts a smile on the kids faces and we all have to have that you know that's the, the, the dilemma that we all face as a, as a coach is that what will ultimately put a smile on all the kids' faces? Is it, is it the win? <laughs> mm. Is you know you try and talk about you know we want to try to win and the fundamentals of you know, trying to win every week and to trying your best. Um, but then there are some sometimes when the only thing that will put a smile on their face is if they actually win. But once the game's finished and you talk to them and within a f the f thirty seconds a minute of having that, they're back. You know, so it's trying to get. You know, how, how do you get that balance? And yeah, it's, you you want you do want them to to be competitive, and you do want them to be competitive with similar, you know, that sort of meaningful competitiveness, if you like. So they don't always have to win. You want them always to try to win. Yeah. Um, but you know, there are sometimes when they sometimes they need a win to just get a smile. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you've got to get that balance right it's, and that's that's probably the hardest the hardest thing to do isn't it it's like, oh yeah how do you how do you ensure you do that um, consistently 
over the, over the season. Um, you know, and we have to make some difficult decisions, and it could be bringing players on, rotating them, taking them off. You know, it's, but it's trying to be, be consistent and being fair, or be trying to be fair. Me again, you, you know, if you, you you can't always, you know, I know your stuff is meticulously managed in terms of game time and things, and you know, and, and he's. You know, do you share your do you share your game time spreadsheet with all your parents? Well, look, everyone's played, you know, three hundred and fifty minutes, <laughs> um, and it's all been fair and equitable. And I think, I think as long as you try and try and do that, play parents know that you yeah. try and do that. Then, yeah. Then you you probably keep them on side. I'm yet to meet many coaches who 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 have who don't have the best intentions at heart. I mm. think they most coaches that I come across, they genuinely want to good do well for the kids or the players that they work yeah. with. And sometimes it's those those actions that can be a little bit misinformed or misguided and done without any any malice. But I think when you, you pick up on something that you said there, it was just actually listening to the kids and, and questioning why you're doing what you're doing mm-hmm. and understanding that every decision that you make as a coach has a trade-off somewhere. Yeah. You mentioned about the position rotation. I remember one of the coaches who had the biggest impact on me as a coach. He, kind of likened it to an education mm. so if you're going to develop a well-rounded player um, or if you were going to w- develop a well-rounded student yeah. they wouldn't just study one subject mm. from um, from the age of six yeah. it's important for them to, to discover a range of, of subjects because at six years old they might not know what their favourite subject is going to be by the time they're 18 or, yeah. or beyond yeah. um, and they certainly wouldn't sit out of the classroom for until the last five minutes of the lesson, would they? No, and, and I think that's important in terms of giving the, the the players the opportunity to experience different positions. And, you know, we know that from you know, developmentally anyway. You know, it's about the fundamental movement skills and and being in different parts of the pitch and parts of the field and playing different sports. Um, gives you different experiences, which can translate and help you to understand what you're doing at any given time so um, you know you're not really being fair on the kids if you just stick them in the same position mm. they're not learning they're learning to play one position very well but they're not learning how to play the, the game in a more holistic way yeah. uh, and as you say they, they may end up you know moving from you know the, the, the right hand side to the middle to the left hand side you know and, and right hand is right predominant of right footed players can play on the left it's just that maybe they haven't been used to playing over there. They, yeah. they don't know what range of options are available to them because they haven't actually played there. You restrict the number of left-footed players who play in the middle because you've only got a certain number of left-footed players, so you, they don't get an opportunity to play in other positions because they're always playing on the left because mm-hmm. you get in the balance. But you know, left-footed midfielders to play in the middle or at the back, you know, or on, on the right, you know, give them a, give them a sense of a, a different experience. You know, different body shapes, different channels to work into, different uh, turns to make, uh, different perspectives, different pictures that they're going to see on the pitch, and, and they can absorb all those things, and they will become more accustomed to playing in different positions. Ultimately, become better players uh, and enjoy the experience more. Yeah, and I suppose you said about that the players that are able to solve those problems. That's the sort of player that you want. I suppose by by limiting them, you're you're limiting the amount of problems that they're yeah, they're, they're exposed to. Ask, to. I, mean, I think again, from a coaching perspective, it's asking the asking the players and the, the, the difficulty and the challenge of you know asking 
asking them rather than telling them and and that's and, and the heat of the moment stuff particularly in in, in, in games that you, you you see that there's a particular situation going to emerge because of your experience your understanding of the game yet the players in front of you may not have seen it so you've got to try to get a sense of you know asking the players what they think their position is whether they think they've got things covered whether they think they've got the balance right as opposed to the, the instructional but the instructional process will probably solve the problem in the, in the immediate mm. um, moment but it won't allow the kids to have that level of empowerment to make a decision for themselves yeah and that's difficult situation from a coaching perspective because you know if you if it's nil nil the last few minutes and there's a gap opening up in the middle of the defense you can you can fill it by telling somebody to drop in but you really want your players to fill it themselves or somebody to take responsibility to get it filled to, to see that there's something going on and we yeah. can cover it um, so try not to interfere at <laughs> that point is one of the most difficult things of the pitch side coaching you know? Yeah, and I know we were talking before and I had the same situation with the, the boys that I coached recently mm -hmm. where we were nil-nil with a couple of minutes to go yeah. and the boys were comfortably managing the game out for a draw and there's me encouraging them to go and play quickly on the yeah. sideline and we go and concede a yeah. last-minute winner from a quick free kick. But I spoke to the boys afterwards and just had that honest conversation. I said, look, that was my fault, wasn't it? And they, they honestly said, yeah, it was. Yeah. And we, we would have taken that. Yeah, but I think the, the important thing with me is, is, is the kids are... The, the players are participating in the decision making mm. you know so that's they, they make, they're making decisions so even in your half time team talk it's asking them what do you think is happening mm. what do you think is going on how can we change things do we need to change things as opposed to you as a coach imposing change or structures upon them it's, yeah they need some guy, clever questioning I think is probably the, yeah. as, a, as a skill as a, a, as a coach is to try to get them to understand and think for themselves because once you know they're again they're the ones that are on the on the pits they're the ones that need to make decisions yeah going back full circle then if you for that coach that might want to develop their own philosophy and way yeah. of thinking to be more of a of a one that is player centered then looking into the art of questioning and, and the types yeah. of questioning for what reason might not be a bad starter i think it's it, it because it, it's probably the, one of the most difficult things to do because we, from a, your natural instinct is to tell somebody what to do. But we know from a learning perspective that's not going to help them make that decision in the future because they haven't really learned anything. You've told them yeah. what to do. So if that situation comes up in the future and you're not able to tell them what to do, or somebody else isn't able to tell them what to do, then they're unlikely to learn from the experience. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you can, you can talk about the experience afterwards and you can ask them, what else do you think you could have done? What happened in that situation? Um, is there anything we could have done as a team or an individual to, to have stopped that or prevented that or done something about it? Um, and then you have the discussion. Mm. But, you know, it's natural because even if you look, you know, you're the, the, on the sidelines and it's you know, people are shouting and they're shouting things, get back, get on, get on side, get goal side, throw it down the line. These are just natural yeah. <laughs> things that people just come out with. 
but still telling them in our instructional they're telling players what to do as opposed to you know letting them make a decision mm. or you know asking them what where are your options who's providing an option who's providing an opportunity to play can you play in a different way can you play around can you play forward can you play backward and, and getting them to think themselves about doing it yeah brilliant well, we're almost out of time Dave so I just want to kind of wrap this up okay. we put out on, on Twitter when this concept and this idea of this podcast first started that you know what sort of questions would coaches out there like to ask okay. the experts <laughs> yeah. they can be uh, one word answers or you can go into as much detail as you want but okay. one of the questions that come in was what have you read or seen recently that's had an impact on your thinking or your coaching um, I think I mean, re- reading-wise, it's probably more the, the academic stuff around, you know, creating the right environment for, uh, for, for young talent development type stuff. So things like uh, Christoph Henriksen, that, that type of stuff, you know, reading things like the Daniel Coyle, the talent code, and you know, just, just reading some of those, those things. But I think the most pertinent thing I've seen recently was uh, on, the, on the Twitter, which was the picture of uh, Messi and Suarez, who was sat watching their, their boys being coached by, by by somebody else and I think that, that was retweeted a, a few times because yeah. to, to, they just looked very relaxed uh, they weren't they didn't look like they were going to be interfering you know two of the um, best players in the world sat together having a having a chat and a conversation enjoying just enjoying watching their boys mm-hmm. being coached you know and that was great you know for, as, a, as a really good message to, to be sent out that we can all do that and all, if parents can do that, coaches can do that, enjoy watching the kids play. Um, so, so yeah, I think that's probably the most pertinent thing I've seen recently. Brilliant. I think that's a good place to, to end it. If people want to find out more about you or your work, Dave, where would they look? Oof. Um, the John Moore's website, yeah. um, Schools for Exercise Sciences. Yeah, ljmu.ac.uk. Yeah. yeah, there's uh, profiles around. We've got the, the, a lot of the work that we do in, in football through the Football Exchange. Um, so there's a lot of staff profiles on there. There's a few staff who are on, on Twitter. We do have a Football Exchange Twitter feed. Yeah, Is, do you know the name of it? Or? At LJMU Football. At LJMU Football, yeah, good. Brilliant. Well, Dave, thanks very much for being our first podcast guest. <laughs> Pleasure. Thanks, Jack. No worries. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please help spread the word or leave us a review on iTunes. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. You can reach me on Twitter at JackWalton1. And don't forget to follow Liverpool FA at Liverpool underscore CFA. See you next time.